take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalm 115. This is going to be really good today because I forgot my glasses. And these, uh, I've had these for a long, long time. Um, and uh, Carol, Carol knows all about these. She's the one who graciously provided them for me about 25 years ago. <laughs> I think my eyes have changed just a tad. <laughs> but in an emergency, they'll do. But I don't know. I, it, I'm going to try to do this without glasses today. But Psalm 115, all right? And uh, we'll take a look at this and other passages of Scripture that are relevant to us today. When we think of Thanksgiving Day, before we begin, let me just simply say this to you. When we think of Thanksgiving Day, we think of the three most, uh, most prominent proclamations. First of all, we think of 1621. That was when the pilgrims celebrated their first Thanksgiving, right? We think of that. And then we think of 1789. We had just become a new nation. The Revolutionary War is over. And we got together to establish a constitution for this country. And right after we established the constitution in Philadelphia and have it ratified by all of the states, then George Washington declares a national day of Thanksgiving. And then we have that very famous, famous Thanksgiving proclamation during the Civil War in 1863 when Abraham Lincoln uh, reminds us as a nation that we need to be very thankful even though we are in the worst war and would ultimately continue to still be the worst war we've ever, ever, ever fought in this country. The casualties were greater than any other war we've ever fought. Abraham Lincoln makes the proclamation that we should observe a day of thanksgiving. It's not unusual. Through our history, not only has the national government declared Thanksgiving Day and usually does every year, there have been some exceptions, but the states have all through colonial history and all through modern history have also declared uh, days of thanksgiving for their states as well, specifically before we be became a United States. But in addition to those, I'm thinking of uh, what I think is probably the next most famous Thanksgiving Day. I preached on it a little bit last year, but, but I tell you what, there's just so much surrounding this Thanksgiving Day. And it was the Thanksgiving Day that was declared in 1777. Now that's one year after 1776. We are in the middle of... The, the Revolutionary War in 1777. We're in the middle of the Revolutionary War. We have had some victories, but mostly we've had defeats. And George Washington had just been defeated in Germantown, right outside of Philadelphia, because the British had taken over the city of New York, the second biggest city in the United States, in, in, in the colonies, and and had taken over the, and I should say United States, because we had declared our independence. We were already calling ourselves the United States of America. And they had taken over the first or the most populated city in the United States. Now, think about this for a minute. Philadelphia was taken, taken by the British in 1777 in the fall of that year. 
And so imagine, imagine the people fleeing the city of Philadelphia out into the countrysides and out to farms and going to staying with relatives and, and going out as far as they could into the wilderness to, for a place to stay while the British take over the city of Philadelphia. Imagine Independence Hall. This is the place where the Declaration of Independence was written. Independence Hall in Philadelphia, that very famous building. Can you imagine the British troops walking into Independence Hall and taking it over? Can you imagine what was going through their minds as they were thinking about, boy, this war has got to be over. We have taken the capital of the United States of America. And George Washington's army defeated in its uh, attempt to uh, protect Philadelphia now is marching 20 miles away to a place that they figured would be a good place to camp for the winter at Valley Forge, just 20 miles away from the city of Philadelphia. The Congress of the United States of America fled from Philadelphia and the, and the State House and fled to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But when they got to Lancaster, they realized that the Pennsylvania government was hunkered down in Lancaster, so they decided to go a little further west. They crossed the Susquehanna River, and they established the national headquarters in York, Pennsylvania. I just want you to picture this all. Because in York, Pennsylvania, they got together, and for nine months, we were in exile in York, Pennsylvania. That's where the national government was in the city of York, World Book used to have a wonderful little picture. The newer editions don't have it anymore. But World Book used to have a wonderful picture of that, st- that, uh, that, uh, that stone building that was the, the headquarters of the government of the United States of America. And as the newly founded United States of America, one of the first of three things that they did at York, Pennsylvania was declare a national day of thanksgiving. For December the 18th, 1777. George Washington, December the 19th, 18th, 17. George Washington arrives in Valley Forge on the 19th of December. And so he stops his men and he says, listen, we have, they have declared a national day of Thanksgiving. And so we are going to observe it. And they did. But there wasn't a whole lot to be thankful for. From a human perspective, there wasn't a whole lot to be thankful for. Now, I, I want you to think about this. One of the nicest books I have in my library is By the Hand of Providence by Rod Gragg. And I like to refer to this book merely because it's a lot of first count. You know, almost the whole book is eyewitness accounts of everything that happened. And I, I, I just was so, so... Uh, saddened by the first-handed accounts that I read in this book regarding the soldiers and the officers who had to deal with this horrible situation at Valley Forge that I, I said, nah, I can't read that one. It's just too bad. I, I can't read that one. It's just too bad. It's just too bad. But there they are in their winter quarters at Valley Forge, located 20 miles from the city of Philadelphia, Our state government is at Lancaster. They're trying to protect uh, our country 
from uh, being totally taken over by the British. And so there they are in Valley Forge, hunkered down, and there they are celebrating Thanksgiving Day shortly before they arrive. And Congress recognized the problems, but Congress was a bit encouraged, even though it looked like things were going against us, they were a bit encouraged. And I'm saying this right here at this point because if I were to make an application as far as Thanksgiving Day is concerned, or Thanksgiving under any circumstances, God is pretty realistic with us. He really is. You know, you and I can come across some really desperate situations. You and I can find ourselves in in predicaments and problems and tragedies that we have a hard time figuring out how on earth there is anything to be thankful for. That's realistic. That's very, very realistic. And one of the soldiers, one of the soldiers said this about Thanksgiving Day there in Valley Forge. This is Thanksgiving Day through the whole continent of America. He penned this on the 18th. But God knows we have very little to keep it with. This being the third day we have been without flour and bread and are living in huts and tents, lying on the cold ground. Upon the whole, I think all we have to be thankful for is that we are alive and not in the grave with all of our friends. what an officer said at Valley Forge. You know that the winter that befell them at Valley Forge was very harsh. It wasn't that the winter was super cold, but it didn't have to be super cold. The snows would come, then the icy rains would come, and the mud would freeze, and it didn't make any difference. They suffered, they suffered in a very, very tangible way at Valley Forge. But, but having said that, the government of the United States says there is enough for us to be thankful for. For as much as it is in the, the indispensable duty, for as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, the Congress has declared to acknowledge with gratitude our obligations to Him for benefits received and to implore Him for further blessings as we stand in need. That's just, to me, amazing when I see that. We live in a day and age when we just don't... Uh, I think last, last year, it was last year, I was, I was so uh, amazed at uh, how the United States, how we as citizens and how the, how the army, George Washington's army, how they handled this. There, there's there's very, almost no grumbling or complaining whatsoever in any of this. They are so thankful. I just, I, I remember telling you that I Googled, I Googled uh, Thanksgiving Day in Valley Forge. Remember that last year? I Googled it last year. I wanted to find out as much information about that Thanksgiving Day as I possibly could. And when I Googled it, I came up with dozens and dozens of sites 
where this Thanksgiving Day they're offering buffets all through Lancaster country and all the way from Lancaster to Philadelphia. I, we chuckled last year. We chuckled to see how God has prospered us since that day. Since that Thanksgiving Day in 1777 till this day, notice the difference. Our forefathers would never have dreamed that there would be buffets all over Amish country and all over southeastern Pennsylvania on Thanksgiving Day this many years later. They'd never have dreamed it. And I'm almost certain that we are not even close to being as thankful as they were for the little that they had and the great abundance that we have. One of the surgeons uh, of the uh, army in Valley Forge wrote these words. Mankind is never truly thankful for the benefits of life until they have experienced the wanting of them. Did you, did you hear that? Okay. I, I got that out without my glasses. Mankind is never truly thankful for the benefits of this life until they have experienced the wanting of them. I believe this is the same one who wrote in Valley Forge that the human mind is always pouring upon the gloomy side of fortune. And while we inhabit these lungs of clay, while we inhabit this lump of clay, we will always be in an uneasy and fluctuating state. And it just reminds me, I brought this in today. Don said, Don, you see you got your water already. I said, no, this is just for an object lesson, you see. Because I, I, you know, take this home with you, and I want you to think about this. This is a glass of water. You all see this is a glass of water. It is either half full or half empty. How many times have we talked about that from the pulpit? It is probably in every psychological textbook that deals with human problems from a, an emotional perspective. How many times? So you either look at this and you say it's either half full or half empty, right? And we say if you see it as half full, you're excited. You say, well, thank you for the water. I appreciate the water that you have given to me. If you see it half empty, and that's, your, that's the thing that really sticks out, you say, how come you didn't give me a full cup? That's a complaint, right? That's a complaint. How come you didn't give me a full cup? You see? You see, and that's the issue here in this, as far as this is concerned. I, I, I put in there, in the sermon title this morning, I put in there one of the easiest ways to shut down a thankful heart. And the reason is because when I was preparing this message several weeks ago, it dawned on me that there's a relationship between George Washington at Valley Forge and Benedict Arnold at Valley Forge. Did you know Benedict Arnold was there? He came in May of 1778. He was responsible in part for the army that defeated the British at Saratoga in New York, which is a bright spot for us. But then he came down to Valley Forge to be with the army there. 
And, uh, but you know what happened to Benedict Arnold? Now, you know Benedict Arnold is not known as being, he's not Nathan Hale, right? I used to get those two confused. But Benedict Arnold was uh, one of those who became very disenchanted with the Revolutionary War. He had a lot of sour grapes. He had a lot of un, in, uh, 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 very uh, ingrateful, or it was, he didn't have a very grateful spirit about things. He complained a lot. He didn't get his way. He, um, he was passed over for a promotion. And, uh, and on and on it went. And Benedict Arnold, as you know, later decided that he was going to turn over West Point to the British. And um, I just see that comparison. That's what really led me to do the sermon title the way I did. That's really what led me to do the sermon title. Because I thought of the difference between George Washington and the difference between him. When we look at the hardships, when we look at the British, um, it's interesting, the British occupied Philadelphia. And I don't think, you know, until you really picture the circumstances, you can't really appreciate exactly what we were going through. Imagine that. Imagine someone else is in your capital city. They're sitting by your fireside in the wintertime every night, staying warm. They're eating your food. They're enjoying your amenities. One young loyalist woman said this, you can, have, you can have no idea of the life of continual amusement I live in. She said, I can scarcely have a moment to myself. I am most elegantly dressed for a ball this evening at Smith's where we have one every Thursday. I wish to heaven you were going with us this evening to judge for yourself. She is writing this typical, typical of the people who supported the British during the Revolutionary War that got to live in Philadelphia, go to the theater, go to the fancy eating places, and just live their lives in Philadelphia that winter as if it was the nicest place in the world to be. Well, you know that George Washington got quite a reputation because of his patience, because of his gratitude. And you know that there are a string of people who would just to the highest heaven praise George Washington for the fact that he maintained a wonderful disposition in light of everything that he had to deal with. He sent a message over many times to York, Pennsylvania, to the Congress of the United States, and he said, we desperately need supplies. We desperately need supplies. He would send his men out to get supplies with instructions like, don't steal anything. Don't treat badly those who are sympathetic to us. And don't treat badly those who are Tories either. Do what you can to get what you can. And the Congress of the United States of America tried to do what they could. And so the army were searching, the Congress was searching all over the 13 colonies for rations and clothing and footwear. They sent, delegate, they sent people to Maryland and Virginia 
herded cattle from, cattle from New Jersey. They did everything they can to provide. But in all of this, the concern was whether all of this help would come soon enough. And in the middle of all of this, George Washington stands there. And people look at George Washington. And he says, listen. He says, he says yeah, George Washington says, listen, you're, you're, you're saying I'm an American hero. He says, but God's the one. Which leads me to the scripture today, you see. Because in Psalm 115, and I'll just bring that. I realize we're getting to it late, but Psalm 115 was one of the sermons that was preached, that was delivered to the soldiers at Valley Forge on Thanksgiving Day, December the 17th, December the 18th, 1777. Now, there were lots of chaplains, lots of sermons, lots of time for everyone to reflect in those worship services all over Valley Forge, but this sermon became kind of like the prototype. It, it was the sermon that was so well received by the New Hampshire army that it was later published for all of the 13 colonies. And... You know, sermons don't get published like that. But in Psalm 115, here's the sermon. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. I looked at that and I says, I think they got it wrong. I think they made Psalm 116. I said, there must be a misprint in the book. Because what, what does Psalm 116 say? That the thanksgiving for deliverance from death. Right? That's what it's all about. But no, I looked at this and I looked at this and I examined the text of the sermon and I said, no, that's not it. This is it. Psalm 115, the word thanksgiving is not mentioned one time in Psalm 115. But notice what it does say. Not unto us, O Lord. It's not by our strength. It's not by our might. That's the impression. That's what the, 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 the pastor who gave that sermon, that's what he was thinking about. That's what he was, he was talking about. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be glory. Because of your mercy, your truth, not my mercy, not my truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And then if you jump down to nine, he says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Verse 12 and following, the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But what does it say? Everybody together, verse 18. But we will bless the Lord for this time, from this time forth and forevermore. And I say, that is a thanksgiving psalm if I ever read one. It is written all over. You know, if we want to be thankful, 
we have to look at the bright spots. That's, that's realistic. You know, we, we tend to be thankful and we say, oh, got through that. Everything's okay. Lord, I'm thankful. We can. And you know, there are times when we should be thankful, and uh, it's, not, uh, it's not because of uh, anything good necessarily. But we try to make it so that we can put it in perspective that way. A young, young woman was always able to find something for which she was thankful for. It didn't make any difference what the problem was. One morning, she was in a, there was a terrible snowstorm, and uh, she still showed up at work. And she was thankful. Her boss looked at her and said, what are you doing here? I'm surprised you made it into work today. And I'm really surprised that you were very thankful that you made it to work in such a storm. And when asked why she was so thankful, she said that she was thankful that she lived so close to work. I just live not very far away. Her supervisor still didn't understand how she could even walk in the icy sidewalks with the blowing winds and the snow. And she said that she was so thankful that she was able to crawl to work on her hands and knees. That's true. This is, I think, a true story. She was thankful that she could crawl to work on her hands and knees. Her supervisor was astonished by this time and asked, what was so wonderful about crawling to work on your hands and knees? The woman smiled and said, during the blizzard in the early morning light, no one was able to see me do it. And I'm very thankful for that. And I know the feeling. Believe me, I know the feeling. Uh, I've been embarrassed more than once by slipping on the ice and crawling around trying to get up. I don't know about you, but um, boy, one winter, all I, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't going to the wellness center to work out or anything. Uh, I'd let my membership lapse, and I said, I'm just going to go out in the wintertime, and I'm going to do it all winter long. Didn't make any difference how much ice was out there. I'd go out there and act like, boy, I could conquer anything. I know. I know the feeling. I can't say with her that I was very thankful I, 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 at all. But anyway, having said that, having said that, here is George Washington and the armies at Valley Forge. Now, it gets really personal for me, and, and, and I don't want to, you know, I just, I just, in thinking, you know, as soon as spring came, as soon as May came, the British put a new commander-in-chief um, of the armies in Philadelphia, of the army in Philadelphia, and he said, "You know what? We're not staying around in Philadelphia. They abandoned Philadelphia, and as soon as they abandoned Philadelphia, guess what? We chased them. We chased them. They went into New Jersey, and uh, the uh, when they went into New Jersey, George Washington's army chased them into New Jersey and fought them at the Battle of Monmouth, and that's when it becomes personal to me because." I have relatives who fought in the Battle of Monmouth, and I knew how difficult that was. And um, I'm just thankful I'm here today uh, because they survived that battle. But think about this for a minute. Jamestown, what was that, in 1605, 1607? John Hunt, Pastor Hunt, when Captain John Smith brought, uh, landed there, and Captain John Smith, uh, the people got off the ship there at Jamestown in 1607. What is the first thing they did? They, they, they set up a cross on the beach, 
And they knelt down and they prayed. And the first thing they did was thank the Lord for a safe trip in 1607. 1605, I guess it was. I forget. Senior moments. I'm having more and more of those. John Smith was saved by Pocahontas. The only reason I say that to you is because in 16... Now, think about this, because this is key to George Washington. In 1614, John Smith went back to um, England, came to New England, and in New England, guess what we find in New England? We find a guy by the name of Squanto who John Smith brought back from England, who had been taken there by European um, discoverers. I don't know who it was that took Squanto. Squanto was in, in, in um, England for nine years. And guess what he did when he was in England for nine years? He learned English. Now, I think I just want you to just put this together, okay? Here's John Smith. He takes the, he takes the settlers down to Jamestown. Pocahontas saves him. He then meets Squanto in England after he, of course, explored the coast up and down. But then he brings Squanto back. I don't know. That was 17. Well, forget the date. It doesn't matter. And um, later on, Squanto is taken back to Spain captive and then or earlier, and then, then John Smith brings him back. But I just want you to put this together for a second, because here are the pilgrims coming to this country. They wanted to be further south, a whole hundred miles further south. They were supposed to land in Plymouth. They couldn't get their ships to go any further in the storms. And so they started to land at Plymouth. And when they landed at Plymouth, and they got off the ship at Plymouth, guess who was there ultimately to, to greet them? Squanto. Right? His whole tribe had been wiped out by smallpox. When he went to England, he became a Christian. And his desire then was to make sure that this settlement would survive where his tribe did not. And so there's Squanto. He takes care of them. He shows them lots of stuff. Shows them how to fish and how to plant corn. And he speaks English. And then they have this big... Thanksgiving celebration after their first harvest. And, uh, and they sit down and invite the Indians. And the Indians are just enjoying this so much that they decide to stay for three days. And that's the first Thanksgiving here in the United States of America. Now, what is George Washington's take on that? Well, George Washington's take on that is this. I'm going to quote it. I'm going to quote word for word George Washington's take. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Did I quote it right? That's George Washington's take on it. He knew he was going through some terrific times. Sometimes the weather would help him in battle. Sometimes the weather would hurt him in battle. Sometimes he was defeated. Sometimes he was in victory. But what, does the, what, did, what did he say about all of this? He says, 
all things work together for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So we take the good with the bad. We thank the Lord for the poverty and the wealth. We thank the Lord for the sickness and the health. We thank the Lord for everything. We just take, we've often said, what are you going to do if you've got a problem here where you're constantly complaining? That will destroy your Thanksgiving spirit more than anything. Ask Benedict Arnold. But anyway, what do you do? What do you do? Well, I thought a great advice was to just take this and put it in a smaller cup. Change your expectations a little bit. And realize the reality of life. Keep looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. Of course, do that. But always keep in mind, we would never have survived if George Washington hadn't taken that attitude. And uh, I can categorically tell you that from what happened at Valley Forge. The, uh, he, he thought it was incredible that the British didn't just come out from Philadelphia 20 miles away and just wipe them off the face of the map. Couldn't believe it. He said, we were in no condition to help anybody. We didn't have shoes. We didn't have stuff. We didn't have what we needed. But you know what he said? What he believed? All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And Father in heaven, we thank you for the illustrations that we have in our history that bring us to this day. Father, we have a lot to think about. We have a lot to mull over in our minds. We have a lot of history to remind us of how to be thankful and how to be grateful. We have over 200 proclamations of thanksgiving from our states and from our national government telling us that we always have had enough to be thankful for, even when we've had almost nothing. And Father, we thank you that all of that thanksgiving is built on biblical principles because our forefathers loved you and served you and believed that they were serving you in battle as well as in peacetime. Thank you. Help us to be truly thankful. And Lord, we pray that you'd take away any complaining hearts or thoughts that we may have. In Jesus, your name we ask this. Amen. Turn in your hymn book to our closing song of invitation. And um, as we sing, I, I want to read all of the verses of this song except the last one. We're going to sing just the last one, but but this is a Thanksgiving song in our hymn book that talks about harvest time and how we ought to be thankful. But I love the spiritual application. You know harvest time is coming when the Bible says that God is going to come and he's going to take his harvest home, his spiritual harvest. He's going to take home uh, all of those who are trusting Christ. And so let's read just the first two verses and then, uh, and then, we'll, um, and then we'll sing the next one. Everybody together. Come ye thankful people come. Raise the song of harvest home. All is safely gathered in. Ere the winter storms begin. God our maker doth provide. For our wants to be supplied. Come to God's own temple come. Raise the song of harvest home. 
All the world is God's own field, fruit unto his praise to yield, wheat and tares together sown, unto joy or sorrow grown. First the blade, and then the year, then the full corn shall appear. Lord of harvest, grant that we wholesome grain and pure may be. That's your invitation to come to Christ this morning and say, Lord, I acknowledge you as my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Let's sing together the third stanza. Everybody's standing as we sing. <laughs> 